It's showtime, folks. Son now. Ali to the left. Son on a mission to go alone. This is sensational. World class. Welcome to the Know-It-All Podcast. We're going into part three of our NBA draft coverage. We're going to do our NBA mock draft. So we're going to take the GM role here and uh, start out with the first pick of the draft. We'll go to our man, Achilles Raid. How are we doing today? Not too bad. I'm ready to uh, take on the shortest term of a GM ever. Well, you got 15 teams to take on, so... If you do well, there may be a job offer out there from some NBA team coming up. So, all right, you ready to go? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. With the first pick, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are you taking? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm getting the number one pick, huh? Yeah, you are. Uh, well, I guess I'll go with the uh, consensus number one right now. Not who I personally would take, but let's just go with uh, the hype. And the Timberwolves are taking uh, LaMelo Ball, point guard. Well, well, LaMelo Ball as your number one choice. Now, I don't know if you will be getting those phone calls for assistant GM duties, but uh, a decent choice. He actually crossed my mind the more I think of it, but uh, I'm... I just don't know if I could take him number one, which probably moves me to the number two pick, the Golden State Warriors. And I'm going to trade this pick to the Lakers for LeBron James. Oh, no. (laughs) We're not doing trades, are we? No, we aren't doing trades. We have to draft uh, as no trades are available. So uh, I I know who you're taking. You probably do. And... um, I'm taking this as sort of uh, what I think the team needs and who I think would fit in best. And uh, my pick is James Wiseman, number two. Oh, I love that pick. I do, too. uh, That's the guy I'm most excited about right now, to be honest with you. I'm really excited if uh, he does end up going there and they don't trade the pick. Uh, There's already been some movement in the NBA, so I'm getting a little nervous that they're going to sort of bounce out of that spot, but uh, in about a month, if uh, they have James Wiseman, I, I'm excited to watch that team play. So uh, this moves you to number three. 
You're now the GM of the Charlotte Hornets. Congratulations. You got quite a roster there. Who are oh, you taking you. at number three? Well, since we have quite a roster, like you said, uh, I am going to go with uh, uh, more of a need. And we are taking the shooting guard out of Georgia, Anthony Edwards. I think that's a good fit. I think if he happens to fall down there, uh, I think they'd be happy with that. There's a chance he turns into a franchise-type guy, but um, a lot of work to do. But uh, if he can fall to Charlotte there, I I think that would be a nice spot for him. All right, so I'm next up. The number four pick, the Chicago Bulls. And uh, tough spot here. Uh, they have a lot of post guys. Already in uh, Wendell Carter and um, Lori Marketing. I'm going to go, I think, a little defense here and a little sort of swing guy. And I'm going with Killian Hayes, the French sort of swing guard, I'd say. Let's say swing guard uh, as my number uh, four pick here. Actually, you know, I, I like it. I probably would have gone a different way, but I like it. It's a good pick. The other one I was looking at was uh, Dini Avadasia. Uh, but uh, as long as Carter and Marketing are there, it just seems like there, there'd be too much of a log jam. And uh, Colleen Hayes, probably the only defensive-minded player on that team, so um, can handle some off-ball and on-ball duties and uh, let – Zach Levine and Colby White cook while he can. All right, uh, you're up. You get another great roster here. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, weird post-veterans, weird young backcourt. Where are you going? Uh, simply because of the needs and our uh, need for a guy that we can market who's got good potential, good upside. Uh, we are going to go with the young man out of Israel, uh, Denny Abdija. Oh, you took my guy. Yeah. All right. That's a pretty decent pick there. I like that. Um, I'm going at number six with the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know if they need another young guy, so uh, I'm struggling to figure out a way to go here. But I, I think if I was the Hawks, I'd go with explosiveness. And uh, I think this guy has the best chance to be sort of the best scorer out of this draft, and that's Obi Toppin. Oh, I actually had him going a little bit earlier, but... Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if he'll make it to six, but uh, he'd fit down there. You put Collins and Toppin together. I don't know if they can defend with Trey Young, but uh, a lot of points would be scored. All right. Yeah. You're up next. Number seven. I don't know how you keep getting the wor worst rosters in the NBA, but uh, number seven, Detroit Pistons. Well, I'm really excited to be the GM of the Detroit Pistons, but I know why I ended up with these rosters because you're the host and you set this up. So I, I set up. I was being nice and giving you the first pick. I didn't know every oh, other I one ended up with the worst teams in the NBA. I didn't want the first pick because if I went with the guy that I wanted – and uh, Wiseman, you know, everyone's going to uh, let us have it about not having Ball as number one. 
but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Uh, with the seventh pick in the NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select Isaac Okoro, small forward out of Auburn. I like that choice. Pretty decent choice. Defender can attack. Um, I really don't think you could go wrong with any Detroit selection because mostly they just need live bodies on the roster. So uh, I'm up next. See, I get a bad roster here. Number eight, the New York Knicks. And uh, I'm going to go with some scoring and make a little bit of a jump here. I'm going with Tyrell Terry. Ah, the okay. scoring guard out of Stanford. They don't have a lot of shooting. They don't have a lot of scoring. And I think a place like New York, he could excel. And uh, it sort of give somebody uh, R.J. Barrett could play off of. R.J. Barrett can get in that lane, drive and kick to Terry, who can score a lot of points. So uh, I don't know if the Knicks keep this pick, but uh, that would be a fun one to have. What are you... Next, thinking for a little bit better roster here, two theoretical franchise guys in the Washington Wizards. So uh, where are you going with the Wizards? I was a little torn. Um, I wanted to go with some size here. And I kind of like the big guy from USC, but I think we're going to go a different route, and we're going to go with Shadiq Hayes. I'm sorry, uh, Shadiq Bay um, out of uh, Villanova, yes. I think. Out of yeah, Villanova, so that is correct. That's who we're going with. Decent swing guy. Uh, I think that could be a pretty good pick, uh, especially with the dearth of, uh, well, anybody in the swing category for the Wizards. So uh, I like that pick. Uh, would fit nicely next to Wall and uh, Beal. So uh, maybe that's a, a good pick, and maybe that'll happen. Anyway, I'm up next, and uh, big news out of Phoenix. So uh, they just acquired Chris Paul. So I don't know where to go draft-wise here. They have a big man. They have a shooting guard. They have a point guard, and they have some wings that they took last year. So uh, I think I will we'll go with your USC guy, and uh, I think that would be a decent spot for him. Onowuku Okawangu. Yeah, okay. I think uh, backing up uh, DeAndre Ayton, and uh, if Ayton gets in foul trouble, you don't drop off much uh, athletically for an athletic big, and um, I think he'd fit well uh, with Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker. He wouldn't be asked to do too much and uh, get some nice rim runs and dunks and uh, maybe play a little defense there. So uh, you're up next. See, look, your rosters are improving as we're getting further and further down the depth chart. San Antonio Spurs. What are you doing if you're the Spurs here? Uh, he was, uh, this is the uh, the conundrum that I have to deal with. Um, I wasn't sure which way to go, but I think overall we're going to go with the shooting guard out of Kentucky and uh, Tyrese uh, Maxey. 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 Yeah, that's uh, that's the route we're going. Um, I was going to take a different guard, but the truth is I forgot to get everything ready here, so I don't know who's been drafted, so I'm just going with my list. <laughs> well, he has not been drafted. I'm doing my <laughs> highlighting, so I don't okay. forget who's been drafted. 
I'm, I'm glad someone's taking responsibility. Well, I, I don't know about responsibility. I quickly printed out a sheet with all the names, and I'm quickly highlighting as we go down. So, um, interesting pick there. Uh, but uh, hard to see where the Spurs are going. They have bigs. They have guards. But uh, there's a weird mix of sort of veterans and young people there. So, uh, next best player available seems like the best way to go for them. And uh, I have the Sacramento Kings. Now, if I was the actual Kings GM... I'd probably take someone crazy here. And uh, a lot of guys on this list who I think will be good sort of role players. I don't know where to go necessarily for a big time. But um, I think uh, Buddy Heald's been on the market. And uh, so I'm going to replace him with Aaron Naismith here, the guard out of Vanderbilt. Okay. Uh, you know, I almost felt like this is a guy like uh, my previous pick would fit well here. But we're competing GMs. I'm not trying to let you have anybody. <laughs> That's true. All right. Next up, you're the New Orleans Pelicans. Where are you Oof. going? This one's a little bit tougher. Uh, I, I was torn with taking another guy, which I believe has been taken already. So I think I'm going to have to go in a different direction with uh, my second one. What guy so, did you, were you thinking? I was, I was thinking of uh Vassal here. No, Vassal hasn't gone. I almost took him, oh. but I didn't. So oh, you can okay. take Vassal. In that case, I'm taking Vassal. Yes, I'm taking him. I know. We're both going to be punished for letting Devin Vassal drop this far. <laughs> oh man. I, I thought he was gone. Yeah, I know. He probably should have been, but I, I kept slotting Weird position guys in there, and uh, Vassal's still on the board. So, uh, Devin Vassal. Yep, that's to your New, England, New Orleans Pelicans. I like that pick. Yep, out of Florida State, baby. If he can make it that far, uh, I think that'd be a pretty good pick. So, uh, Oh, yeah. You end up winning if he makes it that far. <laughs> All right. I'm up next. Boston Celtics. I'm going to go after a reach here. I'm going to go for broke. Either he will be a superstar in the NBA or playing in some far off league in Israel or Pakistan in two years. I'm going with our man, Alexis Punaveski. Oh, we talked about him a little yes, bit. Yes, I know. Uh, Boston pretty much has a t- ready-made roster. Uh, the upside on this guy is off the charts. Uh, athletic big needs to put on weight, but uh, if he works out, uh, this guy's probably, you know, a Perzingis, Giannis type guy. And if he can't handle the physicality, uh, he will be a draft day joke like Jake Sokolides or something in 15 years. So uh, I'm going with the uh, long shot and seeing if it works out for the Boston Celtics here. You're up next, Orlando Magic. Okay, now with... Uh... The 15th pick in the NBA draft, the Orlando Magic, even though we didn't take notes. I know I haven't heard this name yet. So we are going with Precious Achiwa out of Memphis. Oh, that's a pretty good pick there. Uh, good sort of swing guy. I think if uh, Aaron Gordon gets traded, I think he sops up those minutes right away. All right. So I'm at 16 with the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, this guy dropped pretty far in our draft. Someone's doing something wrong. 
I'm going to take Patrick Williams and hope I get some defensive swing guy for the uh, Portland Trailblazers here. Oh, he's still there, huh? Yep, he's still there. Oh, this is what actually, happens when you don't chart the draft picks. Yep, this you know, it's exactly it. I'm not ready. This is how I knew my tenure as a GM was going to be short. It's possible I just got the steal of the draft for the Portland Trailblazers. I actually wanted him for the Spurs, but for some reason I thought he was gone. Now, all right, uh, you're up next. Minnesota Timberwolves, your second pick of the draft here. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, let's see. We need – we already picked up a a guard early on. Uh, maybe someone to compliment him. Um, I I definitely was not ready for this. I don't <laughs> – I don't know who's gone and who's not. But uh, how about we go – You want me go... to give you the best available? Oh, no, no. That's fine. <laughs> uh, how about we Jay go – Jay Billis style as I break it down. Let's see. Let's let's anchor up a little bit this the middle a little bit. I think we're gonna take uh, Jalen Smith out of Maryland. Yeah, I thought that's where you were gonna go. Yeah, I guess we'll go small than big. I'd rather go big and small, but we'll go small and big for. All right, Jalen Smith got the pick and pop guy. Him and Carl Anthony Towns running some uh, high wing stuff could be interesting, and uh, we'll see if that actually occurs. Uh, I think that's probably right around the area Jalen Smith would actually go. So uh, I'm up next, Dallas Mavericks. And uh, I'm going to go with Tyrese Halliburton. Get another uh, sort of guard to help uh, Luka Doncic handle those kind of duties. Uh, his shot's a little awkward, but it goes in and uh, could sort of play off the ball, on the ball, just sort of like that. And uh, if he can defend it all, in the uh, next level, I think uh, that'd be a good fit for the Mavericks. So uh, Tyrese Halliburton for the uh, Dallas Mavericks at 18. You're up next, the Brooklyn Nets. You got to add something to this star-laden roster. Where are you going? Uh, okay, well, let's see. Well, they've got some solid pieces that we've yet to see play, uh, but just... Let's see, you can cut me off if for some weird reason uh, I've already uh, picked someone that's been drafted. Just keep in mind that you are the commissioner here also as well as GM. Do I take your draft pick if uh, you... No, no, I I get to keep my draft pick, but you just penalize me and send me the bill in the mail. (laughs) All right, where are you going here? Uh, I I believe for this pick we are going with uh, Onyeka Okong. I can't find him on my list, but uh, I'm assuming since he's not highlighted, you are correct. Is he is he not highlighted? The center out of USC. Yes, uh, he he got taken. Oh no! Maybe three picks before, four picks before. I drafted him to the. Oh, the Phoenix Suns. Oh no! Okay, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I, I I still want to go with the big guy. Uh, is Isaiah Stewart still available? Isaiah Stewart is still available. Okay, we're going with Isaiah Stewart then. This feels like a fantasy draft for some reason. I'm not keeping any notes on <laughs> who's going where, and then I'm looking for the player for half an hour. No, you you got him, Isaiah Stewart, right there. Okay. So, uh, All right, I'm next up at number 20, Miami Heat, and I'm going to go for uh, another sort of uh, – 
reach here since my roster's pretty complete. And I think uh, going into this culture would be good for him. I'm going with RJ Hampton. We'll see if the Heat can mold him into the type of player he wants. I I don't know if that kind of culture will be right for him or he will be right for that kind of culture. But if he's ever going to be a player, it would be well, with the Miami Heat getting something out of him. So I'm going with RJ Hampton at number 20 for the Miami Heat. Oh, that's not bad. Let's see. We're at number 21 with the 76ers. Yes, we are. Can you get somebody to help this team out? <sighs> Let's see. As I was uh, sending my scouts here and there, doing uh, making sure we did our due diligence before drafting, uh, we decided that with the 21st pick, we are going to go with uh, Theo Maladon, point guard. Going with a point guard. Passing on Cole Anthony, going with the Arizona product. Interesting decision. I like it. Uh, Theo's a was a five-star guy coming out of Arizona, and then that Arizona team sort of disappointed. But uh, good pick there. All right. I'm up next at number 22, and I'm going to take my guy, Desmond Bain, for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I think if uh, Gary Harris leaves, I, I think this fills a nice need. Uh, as, they can also probably play him at small forward in case Barton they need to use in a trade piece. And uh, I think his shooting and uh, just creativity will uh, fit in nicely with that uh, Denver Nuggets team and Nikola Jokic. So uh, Desmond Bain uh, for the Denver Nuggets. Okay, and we are at 23 with the Utah Jazz, I believe. That's correct. You're the Utah Jazz GM. Where are you filling in a hole here? Uh, I don't know if it's so much of a hole as much as uh, I like that he's available here. Seems like a good fit. And I'm going to go with uh, point guard out of San Diego State, Malachi Flynn. Oh, Malachi Flynn. Interesting. You really don't like Cole Anthony at all, do you? Is Cole Anthony still available? (laughs) Yes, Cole Anthony is still available. And he's dropping quickly down these uh, uh, charts. I like the Malachi. Yeah, I like the Malachi Flynn though. He he fits into the Utah Jazz sort of system here. All right, I'm up next at number 24 with the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, I'm going to take Cole Anthony out of his misery and take Cole Anthony, Milwaukee Bucks. Big time prospect coming out of high school, uh, and uh, big time lineage uh, with his father Greg Anthony. So. uh, Maybe he can live up to the hype and uh, help this Bucks team score right away, and it also gives them an option to sort of deal Bledsoe if they can. So uh, you're up next. Oklahoma City Thunder at 25. They're probably tanking now that they've just traded away Chris Paul and uh, Dennis Schroeder. So it's going to be Tankapalooza. So where are you going at number 25 with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Um. You know, at this point, like I said, I'm going mostly with just kind of uh, my best available guys off the top of my head. I don't know who's been taken or not. I'm sure I'll regret not realizing that someone else wasn't taken, but we're going to go with uh, Leandro Balmoro, the small forward out of uh, Argentina. Yeah, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about him, but uh, I sort of like him. Tough-nosed, gritty guy, like uh, a lot of the Argentina players. Uh, with a pretty high ba- basketball IQ, uh, I think that would be a good fit with uh, Oklahoma City. I'm up next with the Boston Celtics again, 
And I'm going to go with the other Arizona freshman, Josh Green. Explosive athlete. Oh, okay. Good wing player. Um, just didn't really, I'd say, showed inconsistency at Arizona State. So uh, we'll dump him into the Boston Celtic system and uh, see what he can do out here. Uh, up next, you at number 27, the New York Knicks. Where are we going? Uh, let's see. Based off what we have, uh, I think we're going to go uh, a little safer this time around, and we're going to go with the uh, the guard out of Michigan State, uh, Cassius Winston. Awkward silencer. It's okay. The dog can make noise. We'll be all right. Did you get that pick? Yeah, Cassius Winston for the okay, New York yes. Knicks. <laughs> yes, just wanted to make sure. All right, so New York Knicks loading up on uh, passing guards. Uh this uh, draft. All right, I'm up next. This was the Lakers pick. It was just traded to Oklahoma City. So uh, this now becomes an Oklahoma City pick. And I think I'm going to go with Vernon Carey out of Duke. Uh, Solid player. Uh, I think has a little bit of upside and could become a better player. I don't know if he'll ever become a star, but... um, if you're Oklahoma City Thunder, you're probably just uh, waiting around and see if you could develop some uh, guys anyway. So Vernon Carey Jr. Uh, here for uh, Oklahoma City. You're up next, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, really quickly, is Desmond Bain still available? No, I took Desmond Bain. Uh, oh. oh, let's see. I think uh, I think we're going to go with, uh, please tell me, at least uh, Jaden McDaniel is still available. Jaden McDaniels is still available. Okay. Not not a great fit, but I, at this point with what's gone and what's available, I think we're going with Jaden. Yeah, I like that. Uh, another one that's uh, similar to uh, Josh Green, uh, explosive wing, decent size, uh, but uh, inconsistent play in college. All right. And I have the last pick of the NBA draft, number 30, Boston Celtics. And I'm going with the Gonzaga product, uh, Kieran Tilly. So uh, we'll see if uh, we got a weird uh, prospect uh, for the Celtics at uh, seven foot one, and then we got probably a guy who will be capable if he stays healthy of being in the NBA for 15 years. So a good mix there. All right, so that's our first round mock draft. We'll thank Achilles Rain for joining us for this. We'll be back on Friday to recap the NBA draft that is uh, on Thursday. Also, we'll have our football time podcast Tuesday and Thursday. Be sure to tune in for that. Uh, It'll be an excited Achilles after a good weekend of football for his Los Angeles Rams. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, as far as the draft is concerned, I'll definitely make sure I keep my notes handy for uh, the uh, post-draft. All right, now we're going to go to our movie review, and we're doing something a little different, a foreign film uh, starring Sophia Loren, done by her son, Eduardo Ponti, The Life Ahead. All right, so before we go to Rita Cinema for her review, I wanted to give a tad bit of sort of Italian film history here. So people sort of know what they're getting into before they jump right into one of these films. Um, Italian cinema goes back as far as the early 1900s. It's one of the original sort of uh, 
filmmaking genres. And uh, in the 1930s, uh, it exploded. Uh, the fascist regime essentially thought it was a good way to um, make propaganda films, and they were had the uh, actually built the biggest uh, movie studio in Europe. They started the Venice Film Festival, which is the original of any of the film festivals that started in 1932. So while while they uh, were big into film uh, in the 1930s, it was mostly censored stuff, propaganda stuff for, as you know, the Nazi powers. So um, as the war ended, this is where sort of this style of movie uh, gets its uh, roots. It's a neo-realist style. And uh, Roberto Rossellini and uh, Victoria De Sica probably were the main uh, creators of this genre. And uh, it's really, it was... uh, these 1940 films in Italy were really dark films, and uh, they wouldn't even necessarily use actors. They'd just find people off the street and make these really, really sort of dark, uh, realistic-type films. Uh, when you watch like stuff like The Naked Gun making fun of these art house type movies, this is the stuff where they sort of get it from. And uh, then as the years went on, uh, Federico Fellini uh, sort of took this genre and sort of pumped it up with a little bit more uh, not quite as dark tones. Now, it's kept it realism, and it's, uh, you know, still dark, sort of deathy subject matter, but uh, it really rose up uh, feminism, and this is where uh, actresses like Sophia Loren uh, really sort of got their start and uh, broke into the film industry uh, around the late 50s, early 60s here. And um, this is sort of where... Uh, Martin Scorsese uh, stole a lot of his stuff from where you get it in the dark style uh, but uh, he has a little American twist where it's violence it's not it has a realism but it's not a uh, sort of life realism it's more of a violent realism but uh, that's sort of where these uh, art films sort of started in Italy and this is sort of a continuation of that genre of Italy has the most Academy Awards for Best Foreign Film. They won 14. So um, going to that, we're going to go to Rita Cinema for her review on this movie. What did you make of this film? I know you are not an Italian movie connoisseur, so where did we go with this one? All right. Two words. Sophia Loren. Oh, my goodness. She is a goddess of the screen, has always been in my mind. I think... She is one of the most beautiful women in the world um, over time. Uh, And now she's returning in this film at the age of 86, 10 years after her last film. And frankly, I think she's as lovely as ever. And, you know, certainly she's an older woman now, but she carries her age well. And, um, and frankly, they let her show her age in this film. She's not fixed up like she's on walking down the red carpet. Um, I noticed in some of the PR shots, pictures, posters, that kind of thing of this, um, they've uh, made her look a little younger. <laughs> but in the movie, it's very realistic. She looks 86 years old, but she is just still a, such a beautiful woman. 
And um, I, I think uh, she's very natural in the movie, and, and still she couldn't be more beautiful. Um, I, I just think the world of her. Um, the film is based on a novel uh, by Romain Gray, um, La Vie de Vansois. He was, he, he was a French uh, author, and the translation of that book title is The Life Before Us. Um, it, um, it's the story of an aging Holocaust survivor who at one time was also, who worked as a prostitute, and now in her old age, she takes care of children of prostitutes. Um, one particular immigrant child, Momo, comes to live with her after an encounter in the marketplace where he stole a pair of candlesticks she was going to sell to pay the rent that month. Um, his current caretaker, a Dr. Cohen, um, who knows Rosa, brings the child into her to return the candlesticks, and he asks um, if she will take him in and care for him. And at first, she's very reluctant to do so. Uh, she already has children she takes care of, and she doesn't want a problem. She's mad at this boy anyway because um, he stole her candlesticks and knocked her down, and uh, and he didn't really want to say he was sorry either. But she negotiates a fee with Dr. Cohen, and so she does take the boy on uh, and, and is paid for keeping him. As the story develops, um, it's a... a you know, what starts out as uh, a rancorous kind of relationship between them turns into a loving one, and a, a bond grows between Madame Rosa um, and, and the boy. Um, I might also say that um, this book was, it, the book was written in 1977, and in the late 70s, uh, I think uh, it was late 70s, it was made into a French movie called Madame Rosa, and it starred the legendary French actress Simone Signoret, who is, if, for, for movie historians and French film buffs, they know who Simone Signoret is. Apparently, she got quite a bit of uh, uh, notice for her portrayal in the film, and it won an Academy Award for Best International Film uh, in 1978, the year following uh, the film's release. Um, I've not seen that film, nor have I read Gary's book. So this was a new story for me, and from what I've read, a little bit I've read on background and being said, um, the filmmakers, um, Eduardo Ponti, as you, you mis mentioned, um, and others who worked on the film, uh, made it a little more contemporary take on the story. It's not exactly like uh, the French film. Um, well, the only thing I'd say is the thing I like less than a Italian film would be a French, French film. film. <laughs> so um, I don't know if you can get me to watch that one. So Well, I might rather have the Italian version too, although I do remember Simone Signore being quite an accomplished actress. Well, uh, yes. Very I, well known. Once again, I have no problem with Sophia Loren. It's more oh, the... Oh, Sophia, she's wonderful. It's yeah. more the uh, style of filmmaking that I find a little... Uh, yeah. Boring. Well, I didn't find this boring film boring, though. I mean, it was, um, you know, it's not an action film. That's that's for certain. But I'm just going to say that I loved this film. Um, it's melodramatic. Yeah, it, it's melodramatic. And I think it lacks a little flow. Um, sometimes I found it a bit choppy from scene to scene. And I, I think that um, uh, if I hadn't read some background on the story... 
I might have had trouble following it in places or, or understanding some of the details or nuances in the story because it just, to me, it jumped a little bit from place to place in, in the story, and you miss a few of the little details. Um, but uh, I am going to warn everyone, bring your tissues. This is a tearjerker for sure, uh, definitely. And uh, I will say, uh, while I really thought Sophia Loren was wonderful, I mean, she is just still a wonderful actress at the age of 86. Not that age means you can't be a good actress, but um, I think people know her from her days when she was young and beautiful. And um, Although, you know, in her films where she has won awards, such as Two Women, um, she was not necessarily made to be well, that's, uh, glamorous, uh, yes, let's uh, say. She was naturally beautiful, but she wasn't made to be glamorous. Well, that's a thing with the uh, Italian-style film. They won't make it up. They won't dress it up. Yeah. You are, it's more presented in everyone's natural state. Now, her natural state in the uh, yeah. 50s, 60s, and 70s <laughs> was quite perfect. But, yeah. um very Italian looking too. Yes. Anyway, Sophia is the draw for this film. I mean, I think Sophia Loren is the reason you watch it. Um, and she does play uh, the main character, Madame, uh, Madame Rosa, uh, in the story. But I think for me, the movie was truly a story of the boy, the immigrants, the Senegalese boy, Momo. And also a cast of characters who basically are on the fringes of society. They're outcasts. We've got a Muslim shopkeeper who has abandoned his true talent as a rug maker. I mean, he lives in Italy. He used to be a rug maker. Um, and now he sort of runs a convenience store. Uh, not sort of. He does run a, a convenience store. I guess that's what you would call it. Um, there's a transgender prostitute who lives in the same building with Madame Rosa and also looks kind of looks out for her. They're very good friends. They accept each other. That's part of this story, too, acceptance, I think. And um, she leaves her child. When she works at night as a prostitute, she leaves her child with Madame Rosa. Um, and then there's a drug dealer who takes advantage of young 12-year-old Momo and who has some skills at selling drugs. And then, uh, you know, there are two darling children uh, who stay with Madame Rosa. Um, and so all of these unusual characters make this story, I, I think. It, you know, it's not one of those stories where the story itself stands out necessarily, but the characters and the way the individuals portray the characters in this story draw you in and hold you. And, of course, um, you know, uh, the Madame Rosa, Sophia Loren as Madame, she's like, Mother Earth, I don't, Earth Mother, that's what, you, you know, you just, uh, you know, she, but she has, she is old and, and failing, and she loses consciousness sometime in the sense that she doesn't know where she is, uh, that kind of thing, um, but really, I think the star of this film is the young actor who plays Momo, um, he's really the one the story is about, and, uh, every one of the adult characters ends up having some kind of influence on him, and none more than Madame Rosa, of course, who he really does come to love. Um, in this particular story, Momo's mother died. Um, I'm not sure if that is the same as what happened in the book. I read something about him being abandoned, but uh, well, you know, I, don't I haven't know read the book. So, I don't you know. know if you want me to. I, I previewed and... Uh, Supposedly, she abandoned, uh, yeah. and they thought Momo 
was a syphilitic crazy person. Oh, so uh, I see. Uh, was that yeah. Oh see I didn't know. Which the story. did get the play in the French film, of course. Uh, so yeah. Okay. That makes that that makes all kinds of sense. So but they clean him up a little bit in yes, this one. You sort of like him you you like him sometimes but but you don't. And that's what I want to say about this um young man. His name is I'll uh, see if I don't butcher it here. Ibrahima Gaya. Gaya is a French name, actually. And um, he is so expressive. Um, he shows all kinds of emotions in this, in this film. He shows anger. He shows hate. Um, he displays sheer joy sometimes. He dances and rides his bike, and, uh, which is a wonderful scene when he buys his bike and rides it. And I just thought the young man was a wonderful actor, so expressive. And um, he, but, you know, as I say, showing all kinds of uh, uh, emotions so naturally. And um, he also could be sad and very tender and he is with Madame Rosa by the end of the story, too. That's, you know, where you pull your Kleenex out, for sure. Um, and he is a child who has had a terrible life, so, you know. But but this actor, just I just thought the young man who portrayed him. And I thought Sophia Loren let him shine like that, too. And the two of them together are, they just play off of each other. I, I thought quite well. And I also thought the man who played the Muslim shopkeeper who the little boy goes to work for also blended well with this young actor. The two yeah, I thought uh, well. everybody in the cast really uh, was quite good in playing their uh, parts. Uh, Momos was excellent character. I thought it was played well. I thought the uh, his, I guess brother, if you would put yeah, it in there, right. though they aren't related uh, early in the story. I thought they played off each other yes, really well. that as, was very sweet story, you know, the way they come to like each other. And uh, I did enjoy the shopkeeper. I, I thought the drug dealer sort of played his oh, part real well as well. He I was mean, perfect. I had yeah. no you know, qualms with any of the way this movie was shot or played out or how the... Uh, script went uh, i know you watched the dub version i watched the italian mm. version and read the subtitles which i think might have played with some of the choppiness there with yeah uh, i probably should have done the subtitles where i, I think the italian uh, let it sort of flow as they're speaking in their natural language a little bit but embarrassingly uh, i didn't know if there were subtitles <laughs> i just turned it on and it was dubbed so i listened to it but um yes uh acting wise i thought everybody was really on point and uh played great uh really uh well played uh, their parts in this film. And, you know, I, I'm going to have to give the director some credit for that, the way he had those actors work together and, you know, they bonded with each other in a certain way like the characters did too. Um, also, I, I mean, he sort, of let them, he sort of left them alone, I think, to um, play their characters uh, maybe the way they wanted to in a rather low-key way and yet really forcefully at the same time. I, I don't know how any better to articulate that. He sort of let them act, I, I think. Um, now, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm not sure you agree with me, but I loved the mu music they chose in the background as well. And I also love the scenes of the Italian town where they lived. I thought the cinematography was really good and drew you in without being overwhelming, you know? I, mean, I felt that way about both the music and the scenery the, the and the shots that they took. And I thought the different camera angles really caught the emotions well of the individual actors and the scenes. And 
Um, like you say, I I don't have a great deal of experience watching Italian films, so it's hard for me to say how this one compared well, overall. If um, there's one thing I do take away from those, it's uh, those kinds of shots that are common in pretty much all sort of Italian dramas like this. Uh, uh, just wonderful uh, one scenery. Now, you have usually great cities and towns to work with shooting-wise, so um, that, uh, but the... Uh, you spoke of the bike scene where yes. that frontal shot yeah. is the boy's happy riding his bike. That's uh-huh. just a, a trope of a lot of Italian cinema, and it's a great shot scene. And uh, you really catch uh, the joy of the boy's face uh, getting it, this. That was just a marvelous you know, scene, really. Uh, uh, I loved it. Using his money to buy a bicycle. Yeah. So uh, There were some other scenes, too, where he was sad and the tears rolling down his cheeks. And I thought the shots of him there were, were good, too. I thought the director... Yes, that very well. But once again, when you're shooting in Italy, uh, hard to not make <laughs> it that, look bad. Yeah. Um, well, now there was one aspect, and the um, and you and I sort of talked about it, and that was that CGI lioness. The young boy has vi- he had he has dreams about this lioness who is actually kind of comforting and a friend to him, and. Uh, you know, he thinks about it. He, it's just a touch of fantasy. But I thought in a story where they were trying to do this realistic look at these individuals and their surroundings, the CGI lioness just didn't quite yes. work for me. Although, again, since I haven't read the book, I don't know. If, well, did, I, the boy, did the boy the character more, in the book have a fantasy yes, about li- the, the lioness? and the more I read about this is where yeah. the weird thoughts of the boy having you know syphilis and going crazy comes into his mind because he's seeing a you know Uh, make-believe lion and everybody's like Uh well I thought it probably did have some I mean you know what the significance is that he gets comfort from this lioness in the sense that he has lost his mother um he you know at the end when he loses Madame Rosa I, uh, I don't think that's giving it away too much she's old well, she dies if you can't pick uh, up the foreshadowing <laughs> in the first yeah. 5 minutes of this right. movie that she's going to die i'm not sure this movie's going to be for you so but anyway the you know there that uh, it it might be okay that that's in there but when it first happened i was like this doesn't quite belong in the story it's like we've got this realistic story this realism and suddenly we've got a fantasy with a well yeah made i think up lion they didn't really ease it in uh, no it, you, it, it, you're it, all into uh this story and then all of a sudden you see the random lion. dream sequence on the yeah. floor where everybody's looking at him and a lion's licking his face yeah right well anyway i it, you know it 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 I did wonder after I thought about it whether that was part of the novel and and it was part of his story. I I mean I did get the idea. Um, so anyway, I as I said, I loved the movie. Um, cried at the end, uh, and I I was trying to figure out in the um, title, the life ahead, or in uh, the novel title, the life before us, but the life ahead, whether this was about Momo's life ahead, or maybe it was about all the characters in the life ahead, because each one of them had a story, and we and it sort of played out up to a point in the movie, and you were kind of left wondering. Well, I mean, you know, you had this feeling at the end that Momo was going to be all right, and he was going to 
you know, have a good life and everything, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you don't know that. Uh, anyway. I don't think we'd want to see the sequel, so. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because my guess is that boy's life at some point takes a bad turn. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a, a warm heart, even though there are gritty aspects to it, uh, you know, prostitutes, Holocaust survivors, drug dealers, um, it is still a loving heartwarming sort of story well it's because a depressing these, sort of love story is well, what it is these people all have a certain amount of acceptance for each other and um the bond that develops between the boy and the older woman i think is um oh at the end what he does for her i mean it's just a lovely story i think uh, it's sad very sad but lovely Sad, you but, know, when he brought her the flowers. Yes, sad oh, but happy. So, uh, oh, you know, pull out the Kleenex. <laughs> anyway, I I think people should watch the movie. All right, I think so it's worth it. You think it's worth it? Yeah. What are you giving as a ranking here? Well, I gave it a seven. Um, it is a different kind of movie than we have been reviewing. Um, I don't think I, I don't know, I, I might pump it up a little bit to eight. I do think people should watch it because I think they'll enjoy it, and particularly this time of year. Um, a lot of hokey rom-com Christmas movies start coming in, and, you know, this one's different. <laughs> watch it. All right, so everyone's going to hate me. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I've already explained I do not like this genre of film. I do not really enjoy Italian movies like this, so I'm giving it a three. Oh! Which is probably the highest ranking I give these type of movies. So Poor Sophia! But if this is your kind of movie and you like this genre of film, I would, you know, move it up to an eight. It's done perfectly. It's a great story and a well-executed film, so... I'm in between. I personally will never watch this movie again, nor would I have interest in rewatching it. I might watch it again. But I respect the movie and what yeah. it is. I just do not like this genre of film. So therefore, me rating it high when I do not enjoy this genre of film, and I kept looking at the timestamp to see <laughs> quite how long it had to go left, and it wasn't all that long of a movie. So that should probably tell you something. So I'm a three- but I'm an eight if you enjoy this genre of film. Yeah, so I was going to say, I gave it a seven to eight. So we're far apart, but it's all a matter of taste. All right. So next week, we'll bring a little bit more life and happiness into the world. <laughs> we think. We think. With Jingle Jangle Christmas, A Journey, starring Forrest Whitaker. So we'll have a little musical fun next week uh, and get out of the Italian uh, neorealism death genre. By the way, this film is on Netflix. I don't think we said oh, yes. that. Netflix film. It's probably in Italy as well if yes. you want to find it. All right. That's our show for the week, and we're out. <laughs> <laughs>